Again, appreciate the opportunity to be here with you. As I told the Sunday school class, um, again, my senior pastor and a few of our elders that were gathered this morning uh, send their greetings to you. And um, I'm just thankful that we are so united in heart and mind. And so um, thanks again for allowing me to be here and bring forth the word of God. We're going to be turning to Psalm 3. I stated this morning, one of my favorite things about preaching in situations like this is I get to preach on some of my favorite passages. And um, this is uh, a psalm that is one of my favorites, and I think you'll understand why. Um, It's a psalm that I preached at the very beginning of this year on January 1st at Westminster. Uh, It's a way to kick off. Uh, the new year. And I did that because traditionally January, late December, January, it's a time when we look back on the year or even back on the years, we begin to make plans for the future. I read a book about six years ago now that changed drastically a lot of things about my life. It was called Reset. And um, I read that book, and one of the things that challenged me to do is at some point in the year, and I do it in December, uh, late December, is to sit down and to think, how was this past year, and what goals do you want in the upcoming year? And it encouraged you four different areas of goals, spiritual life and family goals and work life and Um, even physical life, so exercise and things like that, and just wanting to to live what he he calls like a a purposed life, where we're not just letting go and letting God, but by prayer and reading the scriptures that uh, we begin to think through the year. But it's often as well that time to look backwards, isn't it? And we look at the last year, And we find the last year usually to be a mix of joy and sorrow. A time of joy because we consider the friendships that we've made. We look back on babies that have been born, weddings that we've attended and rejoiced with, blessings that we have received. And as I mentioned in Sunday School Hour, my wife and I, we are honestly, we just feel so incredibly blessed. Uh, and with the psalmist, just declare that God has made our line, our, our lines fall in pleasant places. And so we look back with some amount of joy. But it's often the case that we look back on the last year with some amount of sorrow. Uh, many have lost loved ones. Many are at odds with loved ones. And if that's the case, sometimes the holidays and New Year's, I bring a greater sense of sorrow than joy and happiness. Uh, some have felt the hardship of divorce in their own lives or in the lives of people that they love. Some have struggled with sin and the consequences that it has brought in their own lives, while others have struggled with feeling the effects of the sins of others. It could be a time of looking back. And if we look back long enough and hard enough, and if we look back and all we see are the difficulties, 
then it can cause us to lose the joy and the hope and the peace that belongs to those of us who are in Christ. And so today I want to look at one who, when he evaluated his circumstances, would have had every right to be filled with anxiety and fear and guilt and shame. He would have had every right almost to throw up his hands and to give up. And yet we're going to look at him not because he was overwhelmed with his situation, but because in the midst of his situation, he reveals to us how we can find peace about the past and hope for the future. And that's what we find here in Psalm 3. It's a relatively brief psalm. I'm going to read it. I'm going to read the title that has been ascribed to it as well. I believe it helps us put the psalm into context, and then we'll unfold it together. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how many are my foes, many are rising against me, many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill, Selah. I slept, I laid down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. So we consider this psalm, it's written by King David. We need to remember that David's rise to power happened with a mixture of trial and joy. You know, of course, that he was anointed by Samuel uh, to be the future king when he was only a teenager. And then David spent almost 15 years fleeing from King Saul who was intent on killing him, and all because King Saul was filled with that envy we talked about in Sunday school today. He was filled with envy because after David had slain Goliath, that the people attributed more glory to David than to Saul. And as recorded in many of the Psalms, David was able to rejoice in God's protection throughout this time. And he was able to do that even when he sometimes made faithless, foolish choices. I think about the time that he fled from the land of Israel and he fled to the Philistine city of Gath, which happened to be the hometown of Goliath, the giant that he had slain in that first battle that he was in. And he had to feign insanity to get out of that situation. And yet God was faithful to him and he was able to rejoice. And throughout his rule, David continued to fight against the enemies of God. And at the peak of his power, he enjoyed uh, really the love of the people, the respect of the nations around him. 
But if you've been in church any length of time, you know that David made a fateful decision. A fateful decision to commit adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. And then when she found out he was pregnant through her, to eventually have her husband killed intentionally in battle to cover up his sin. And you may remember when he was confronted by the prophet Nathan about it, that David genuinely repented and received the Lord's forgiveness. You can read about that in Psalm 51, Psalm 32. But while he genuinely repented, he was also told that there would be some difficult consequences to his actions. And Psalm 3 reflects on how David responded to one of those times of difficult consequences that came about because of his sin. And so it's by looking at David, and perhaps maybe I should say by looking at how David looked to his God, that I want to persuade you this morning to learn and to remember God. Uh, to learn about him, to remember him in the midst of your sorrows and your pains and your difficulties, even if it's been brought on by your own sinfulness, so that you can have God's peace and joy, strength, and victory in your lives. So we're going to look at the psalm under four headings, remembering David's in our situation, remembering God and his work, the benefits of remembering, and then finally, uh, the cost of forgiving forgetting. So just let's begin with David's and our situation and really pictured for us in verses one and two. Many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him in God. So since David's actions with uh, toward Bathsheba and Uriah, uh, David's situation had worsened considerably. And by the time that this psalm was written, enemies had arisen against him and were seeking to overthrow him as king. And this would have been difficult enough, except for what we're told at the very beginning of this psalm, that in this case, the one who was rising against him was his own son. And we know from the rest of the story, which we'll look at in just a second, from his own son and some of David's own close advisors that joined with Absalom in his rebellion. A quick review of 2 Samuel 13 to 15 helps us understand uh, this psalm a little bit better. Uh, In uh, chapter 13, we have a very sad account of how uh, Amnon, David's son, raped his half-sister Tamar. Sadly, in this case, David took no action toward him. The scriptures tell us that David did this because he loved his son. Yet I think it's also the case that David was probably pretty tentative to take action since he himself had committed his own sexual sin with Bathsheba. And then Absalom enters the picture. Absalom is also David's son, uh, but and by the way, Tamar was Amnon's half-sister, but Absalom is Tamar's full brother. And Absalom is angry. 
He's angry that David has taken no action against Amnon to protect Tamar and her character. And so a couple of years later, uh, he arranges to have Amnon murdered. And then he flees to Geshur where he finds refuge under the king of the land. And he stayed there for three years. Three difficult years until David finally, under the urging of his commander, Joab, brought Absalom back to Jerusalem. But even then, David refused to see Absalom. And Absalom began to wonder, why did I even bother come back? Why, why am I here if I'm not going to actually get to see my father? And so he, again, works through Joab. And he finally gets an invitation to see his father. And when they get together, they kiss. Absalom bows. And yet, the reality is, the damage between them had been done. It had been seven years since Amnon's actions towards Tamar. And throughout those years, Absalom had become embittered towards his father. And his bowing in reality was nothing more than a facade uh, for a proud and embittered heart. And, and we quickly learn in Second Samuel that what was really going on was that he was hatching a conspiracy to overthrow uh, the throne. And in chapter 15 of Second Samuel, we find Absalom playing the campaigning politician. He's going about and bragging and saying what he would do if um, he were uh, king. He was kissing the hands as a sign of respect to all that he came in contact with. That went on for four years. And during that time, Absalom stole the heart of the people. Uh, his conspiracy gained strength. His following increased until he finally made his rebellion public, ready to do battle with Daddy Dearest. David hears of the conspiracy. He knows he's in trouble, and so he flees to a place called Mannheim, which is across the Jordan River. It's about, a 55, about 55 miles away from Jerusalem. And as he is fleeing, Absalom is entering into the city, taking over Jerusalem and seizing control of the throne. And I have to imagine that kind of, if you will, by the end of verse 2, there's such a gamut of emotions in Absalom. He's looking back at the past. He's considering what might await him in the future. Certainly, he had to feel some measure of anger at Absalom for his rebellion. And, and you know, Absalom, look, I showed you mercy even when you wrongly took the life of your brother Amnon. I'm sure that there was anger with himself for not dealing with Amnon's sin when it happened, and then again for not dealing with Absalom's sin. He must have felt some amount of self-recrimination, knowing that it was his own sins of adultery and murder that occasioned all of this. And now here are his sons basically living out the same sins that David had committed. There had to be pain being rejected by your own son. 
and by many of your close advisors. And again, I can only imagine that doubt and fear and anger could have been his constant companions. They could have walked with him as his friends, if you will. They could have stayed close by and he could have been consumed by darkness of soul. And I don't know your lives like David's life. Our lives are usually a mixture of joy and trial. But we each have times of trial and difficulty in our lives. And those times of trial and difficulty can so often help or cause us to lose hope for the future and to question our past choices. And perhaps even, as we learned this morning in Sunday school, to question the goodness of God. And yet, we need to look at David's situation, turn from looking at David's situation to the choice that he made to remember God, to see God at work. Uh, And it's this choice that helps him find peace and joy, and it's this choice that will help us find peace and joy as well. Just as with Psalm 73 earlier today, here we find a transition uh, that says from being attacked and talking about foes that are rising against him. In verse 3, he says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. Those words, but you, O Lord, are just so important and so key if we are going to find the hope, the joy that we need when we are facing trial and difficulty. David chooses to remember God He remembers that it's only in God's presence that he can have hope for his soul and and rest in his soul. That he can find joy in the prospect even of tomorrow. And the scriptures are constantly telling us to remember God in this way. I think of Psalm 77, another of my favorite psalms, uh, where the first nine verses of Psalm 77 the psalmist is distressed over God's apparent forgetfulness of him. He asks questions like, God, are you going to forget me forever? Are you really there? But then once again, you find in verses 10 through 13 of that chapter, it says, ah, but then, and then I remember God. I remember who he is. I I remember how God dealt with the Israelites when they crossed through the Red Sea. I, I remember how they felt hopeless as Pharaoh's army pressed up against him. But God had already planned a way. We are called to remember. Just as Paul encouraged Timothy earlier in our scripture reading to remember Jesus Christ. This is our gospel. In Ephesians 2, Paul calls for the Ephesians to remember God, to remember what he has done, to remember the freedom that they have in Christ. 
Jeremiah 51:50, Judas taken into exile, and they're told, remember God from that distant land so that they can have hope while they're there. Nehemiah 4.14, after they returned from the exile and they feared rebuilding the walls, Nehemiah says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. At least 26 times we are told to remember God and his works. And we'll come back to this later, but four times we're warned not to forget him. We need to be persuaded of the importance of this. We need to be encouraged to do this. We need to make the time in our very busy lives to remember God. So what did David remember in Psalm 3? Well, the first thing he remembered was that the Lord was a shield around him. When you think of a shield, where do you think that shield be? Think of it being out in front of you, right? God is a shield around him. And that was important because if you look at verse 6, the enemies had set themselves around David. And now you have God being a shield, being his protection from every side. God was watching over him and protecting him. David also remembers that God is his glory and the lifter of his head. That God, I I had some glory. I was king. I was ruling and reigning. And yet you are my true glory. You are the lifter of my head. You are the one that is going to keep me moving forward and keep my eyes looking heavenward, even in the midst of these difficulties and trials. And again, we need to take that time to remember who God is. And these are just two things that we can remember about God. We remember his work. We remember his attributes. And again, we need to slow down in the midst of struggle. My wife and I met in Miami. God was gracious enough to put us two doors down from each other at a, in our church office complex. She was the children's ministries director, and I, I was the young and new junior high youth director at a, a church down there. We got married, and within a couple of years, I began to feel the call to become ordained. Uh, And that call was going to require moving to seminary somewhere. I was a little bit older. I was going to be 35 when I started seminary. I had been in youth ministry up up until that time. And uh, we moved, and right when we were moving from Miami to Columbia, South Carolina, the sale of our house in Miami fell through. Uh, We need to put a new roof on it. That was going to cost us some money. And by that time, this was right after Hurricane Andrew, there was a glut of houses on the market down in Miami. There were more houses than there were jobs. (laughs) And so our house sat empty for nearly six months. And every month I watched as another mortgage payment and another utility payment on top of the roofing went out of my account. That was the money we planned to live on while we were in seminary. For the first four months, I didn't panic too much. 
But about December, November, um, I started waking up at one in the morning. And all I remember is getting up, literally, I would go out to my living room. And I would sit there and pray. And I'm not proud of this, but it's just the reality. I would literally bang my head against the couch. At least I chose something soft. And, um, and say, God, what are you doing? I, 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 I'm, I don't get it. And after about 10 days of that, two weeks, I knew that the hopelessness of that was not getting me anywhere. And God took me to his word. And he took me to Psalm 121. And I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth and so on. And, and I took the time to sit and to memorize that psalm. And my commitment was when I would still wake up at one o'clock in the morning. And instead of giving up and feeling the hopelessness. Was that I would remember God. And I would remember who he was and that I would quietly repeat Psalm 121 in my mind. It had to be a conscious choice. It had to be something that God worked in me to lift my eyes up to him for my hope. That I would remember that he's watching over me, that he's watching over my coming and going both now and forevermore. That he is uh, my sun, my shade against the sun and against the moon and how those things can't harm me. I needed something else to focus on and we need to make that decision. And thankfully, David goes on to give us a bunch of benefits of remembering. Now, this kind of read through these quickly but at first he's confident that God has heard his prayers and that he's called what that he's cried out in his distress uh you O Lord are a shield about me my glory and the lifter of my head I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill now um, by the end of the psalm you realize he's still in his distress but David knows that God is there he knows that God is answering him secondly David has this incredible peace in the midst of a storm. And my little story about waking up in seminary and banging my head will explain why I think the most amazing words in this psalm are at the beginning of verse 5. I lay down and slept. <laughs> I don't know about you, but anxiety, fear, hardship, my son just took over the throne. I'm expecting an army to come over the hill at any moment. I just have a small cohort with me. Might that not keep you up? I just, I lay down and slept. They're amazing words to me, and yet it wasn't based upon anything in himself. It was based upon, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. And then he's given this sense of victory and salvation in verses 7 and 8. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Now, certainly it's true that our salvation from hell belongs to the Lord. 
But here David is speaking of rescue in his situation. And he knows that even that belongs to the Lord. It's not going to be his cunning. It's not going to be his might as a warrior. He had a reputation of being a mighty warrior. It belonged to God. And, and yet, again, look at that confidence. You strike all my enemies on the cheek. God, I'm going to expect you to do that again. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to you. Your blessing be on your people. What benefits we have when we look, when we remember Christ? Now, Satan will tell you lies. Satan will tell you, like those who were rising against him, that there's no salvation for him in God, and we can feel that sense again of hopelessness. If it's caused by your own sin, he's going to tell you your sin is too great. What you've done was too awful. What you've done is too often. God's not going to deliver you. But that's as much of a lie now as it was then. God has delivered us and will continue to do so until we're at home with him. And it's because we're united to Christ. Because of this, we've been promised and are entitled to the benefits of being a child of God With all that said, I just want to end by just mentioning the cost of forgetting. The cost of forgetting, of course, is not experiencing the blessings we just spoke about. The cost of forgetting is hopelessness. The cost of forgetting is sleepless nights. The cost of forgetting, as Job 8.12 says, is that the destiny of all who forget God is to have their hope wither more quickly than reeds without water. That's the cost of forgiving. So much happens in our lives that would bring a sense of hopelessness if we did not remember God, if we do not remember Christ and him crucified, if we do not remember again that we are united to our Savior and therefore we have all the rights and privileges of the children of God Right, that we, because we've been adopted by by God into his family, we can cry out to him and we can expect him to act. Not again because we're good, but because he's gracious, because he has promised. And I would simply encourage you, as you enter into this new year, that you do so with that idea of I'm gonna remember God whatever that might look like for you and whatever it might be, but it's going to come with some effort and some time and intentionality. Remembering God doesn't happen. Um, And just simply casually, sometimes God is gracious and works that way. But it most often comes through the means of grace, through words, sacrament, and prayer. But you're going to remember him and you'll find your hope. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We're thankful for your goodness and for your grace and your kindness. We're thankful, God, that you are patient with us. And we're thankful for who you are and for your great work in our lives. Would you give us hope in who you are, God? Hope in your promises. Hope in your word. And we pray this in our Savior's name. Amen.